Baby, we're going to do so good. I can feel it. It's going to be great. Um, we're going to continue in The Great Escape. Again, we're working our way through the book of Exodus. Last week in our message, Dry Ground, we witnessed the hand of God deliver the Israelites out of the clutches of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army as he parted the Red Sea right before their eyes. Not only was this miraculous event a pathway for the children of Israel to escape, but it was at the same time an instrument of judgment upon the Egyptians, which we destroyed on the very same path. This incredible prophetic picture of the human experience revealed to us that the the same gift of life that's given to each of us can lead to either deliverance or destruction. Deliverance for those that accept God's gift of salvation and destruction to those who will stand in opposition to God. This morning we celebrate the victory of God with the Israelites uh, as they prepare uh, for the challenges ahead in our message today, titled today, which is called Keeping His Statutes. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. And Lord, I know uh, that I have prayed specifically, Father, asking you to speak to me through the scripture. And Lord, I just, uh, I feel that you have. And Lord, I pray that uh, today, uh, Lord, that uh, you will speak through me. Uh, Lord, that the words that I will share will not be the ones that I would choose. But Lord, that as the, the human element will be completely removed, if I could just vanish and Lord, uh, just have you speak, God, I pray, Father, that today you will give us what we are in need of. Help us, Lord, to learn from your word the great depth and understanding, Father, of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, we're going to pick up here. Is basically, what's happened is the parting of the Red Sea. That the, the, the seas have closed. They're now celebrating, basically, what has just taken place. They are literally standing on the other side of the waters, and the Egyptians are gone. They see the bodies washed up on the shores, okay? So the people are elated, and singing is about to break out. And that's what we're going to pick up here in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 27. Verse number 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also he drowned in the Red Sea. The depths are covered, have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy, with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead into the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. That's the first half of this stanza. And what we're seeing here is a recounting of God's victory over the Egyptians. Verse 13. Thou in thy mercies hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed, and thou and hast guided them in thy strength and unto thy holy habitations. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. 
fear and dread fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horses, horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought against the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So the second half of this song is literally talking about the sovereignty of God and the deliverance of God. I mean, listen to the celebration of God in there, man. They're talking about how amazing, what God's done, what have you seen? We just witnessed what was the most incredible thing in the world. Then listen to the faith that they have. Man, they're going, man, God is strong. God is mighty. God's going to get us through. Look at the confidence that they have in him in the midst of this moment, right? And what we have to understand is, but guess what? It's really easy to be confident when things are going your way, right? When you just saw this mighty army washed away and you saw the oceans parted and you know that, man, God is on our side. You're like, yes, God is awesome, right? It's a little bit more difficult when things aren't necessarily going our way. And we're going to see, unfortunately, with these individuals is they have a bit of a problem maintaining that faith. That faith. We see them actually rejoicing on future victories that they have not even faced yet. Because what they say in here, remember verse back in verse 14, it says, The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Palestina, those are inhabitants of Canaan, okay? Uh, then, it says, Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, these are all Canaanites. And it says, Trembling shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away, man. When we come there, we're not even worried because when we arrive at Canaan, God's going to already take care of it. They're going to melt. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. They shall be be as still as a stone still till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Man, listen to the confidence they're singing in this moment. They're going, man, when we reach Canaan, it's going to be a cakewalk. We're going to walk right in because God is with us. Look what he just did. This is going to be so easy. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. Okay. A little further down the road, we're going to find ourselves in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 3. This is when what's happened is the, the 12 spies have just gone in to check out Canaan. And they've just come back. And of the 12, 10 said, you know what? This is trouble. They're giants. This is dangerous. We can't do this. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. Let's do this. And unfortunately, the people, this is their response. Verse 14, verse 1, 3. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Couldn't we just died there? Or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord, look at this, wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land? Notice they don't even call it the promised land. They say this land, they're discrediting what God's given them. To fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey, were it not better for us to return unto Egypt. Amazing. The same people that are so confident, man, when we get there, the people are going to be just fall. They're going to fall with fear. They're going to turn to stones. They're going to drop. We don't have a problem at all. We're going to walk right through the door. But when the rubber hits the road, their faith is not there. Remember, guys, they're a picture of us. They're a picture of us. 
in this moment. They've got honoring. Now, we've got to remember, and in this, we're going to focus on the song. We're not going to focus on the future. We're going to focus on this. Right now, they're honoring God, and they're singing glory to God. And as the Israelites sing this, one of the things is, you and I need to recognize the fact that we're supposed to be doing the same thing. Our lives are supposed to be full of praise for God, right? We celebrate the good times, but guess what? We're supposed to celebrate the hard times as well. For Colossians 3, 16, 16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 19, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're supposed to have this, this, this heart of, of praise to God. And what happens is so many times we lose sight of that, right? We, we know we're supposed to do it, but are our hearts, are they, are they singing to the Lord? Are we, are we searching ourselves? Are we claiming the victories that God's done in our life, right? So many times God takes care of things and he answers prayer, and we just kind of mull right over it and just keep on rolling. And we think about the things that we have ahead of us. Do we claim the victory? Or do we worry about them? Are we just constantly concerned of what's over the horizon? And God's telling them, it's like, look, we look at, man, we're supposed to be claiming the victories. You know, are we, are we focused upon that or are we maybe focused upon the distractions of this life, right? The distractions of this life can become what the Bible references as idols. They're things that we focus our attention on that we shouldn't be focusing on. And we're looking at this a little bit deeper, and we're going to look at Paul uses an example of the Israelites as he kind of talks about this issue with us in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 5 through 14. Paul uses the, he's telling us the story of the Israelites. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. It's interesting when he says many of them, that God was not well pleased. I'll have you know that 603,550 men over the age of 20, the book of Numbers gives us numbers, and that's one of the numbers it gives us, 603,550 go into the wilderness, men over the age of 20. Guess how many make it into the promised land? It says, many of them God was not pleased with. Two, many's a lot. That's 603,548 people God was not pleased with. <laughs> Two made it, in to the, the, made it into the promised land. That would be Joshua and Caleb. Remember that the wilderness is a picture of our Christian life. The purpose of the wilderness is not to get them out of Egypt. It's to get the Egypt out of them. It's to get the, the, the stuff that they bring with them out of them before they go into Canaan, right? This life is a test to see whether or not we're going to live for God or we're going to live for self, right? Every day we get to decide what it is we're going to do. Is this life about him or is this life about me? Verse number six in 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things were examples to the intent, we should not lust after evil things, they also lusted. So what he's saying is, and he's telling us a prophetic thing. He's saying, look, the Egyptian, the, those Israelites, guess what? They are there as an example to you to learn from their mistakes. That's what you're supposed to see. See them and learn from that. That's why it's been recorded. Staying away from evil, that seems pretty clear. We go, hey man, if something's super sinful, I should stay away from it. That's pretty easy. Number seven's a little bit harder. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, it says that their idolatry was eating and drinking and playing. There's nothing sinful about eating or drinking or playing. None of those things are sinful. What happens is, and the reason why it's idolatry, is because of where they fall in their importance in our lives. Things these are, not, are not sinful in themselves, but, in the, but it is in the priority that they have in our lives that makes them sinful. It doesn't matter if it's family, job, possessions, hobbies, entertainment, whatever it is, anything that we put before God becomes an idol. 
And as good Christian folks, if we were to ask you, hey, man, have you got any idols? Almost every one of us in here would go, you know what? Hey, I put nothing before God. I mean, he is number one. And dude, have you seen my shirt that says God's number one? I mean, dude, God is number one. I'm telling you. He's all about it. I'm all about God, man. Love God. But the thing is, if, is, that, is that really true, right? If we, if we search ourselves, really search ourselves. You know, David said this in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Help to reveal to me. And, it, and he says, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, help me to search my own heart to know if I'm wrong. Because you know what? There can be things that happen to us. And what happens in life is when we slip, we don't slip all at once. We slip in subtlety. So many times we lose sight of the fact that we've actually moved. You know, it's like we talk about when we get in the water. If you get in the water at the beach and you set your towel down here and you get in the water and you swim for a while. And all of a sudden you look up and your towel's like, why is my towel over there? Because the current pulled you ever so slightly. And you didn't notice it. As far as you're concerned, you were standing exactly where you went into the water. But it happens subtly. And that's exactly the way sin works its way into our life. That's how idolatry creeps its way into our lives. Now, if we have a hard time determining whether or not we have an idol in our life, here's kind of a, a strategy that we can use, okay? 1 Peter 2.12 talks about the conversation of our life, okay? When we make that reference, what it's talking about is the fact that the conversation, the way you live, impacts the world around you, okay? So what we would do is, for those of us maybe that are on social media, a good way for us to check is to go, look, let's go on our social media and let's look at what we promote, what are the things that we focus on? What is our conversation of our promotion? What is it revealing to the world, right? Is God number one? Or are there other things in the way? Now, if we're not involved in social media, what we can do is we can look at our finances, right? The Bible says, Jesus told us himself in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? Where you focus your attention and your money and the things that you promote, those are where your heart is, Whatever your treasure is, your heart is linked to it. If we're focused on kingdom living, then we'll promote and invest in it over anything else. If we discover an idol, we must remove it from its place of prominence and surrender ourselves and our lives back to God. Because what has happened over time is we have surrendered our lives to something that is not God. And whether or not we understand it or not, in God's terminology, that is idolatry. It is as if we worship that thing. Now, this is uh, sometimes for some of us, it may be difficult to hear, and I understand that. We, I mean, we all have some areas and issues that we're all struggling with, each person, because we have vulnerabilities. We have the same enemy. We all have weaknesses, whatever we were born with and whatever we've developed over our lifetime through our experiences. We, he knows where our weaknesses are, and we'll be hit in those specific spots. Matthew 6 continues in verse number 24. Jesus said this, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. So what we find is we find people that are literally trying to do both. You know what? I Man, I'm all about God, but I've got this other thing in my life that is, man, I love this. And if I have time and conversation or somebody's around and we're going to talk, it isn't necessarily God's not going to come up, but boy, we're going to talk about this because I know everything about it. And it becomes something that has drawn our attention away from God. The devil seduces many hearts lost and saved away from God, not only through sin, but through things that are simply fulfilling our flesh. Born-again believers, we're as susceptible as anybody else out there. If we're not walking close to God, your attention can be drawn away. And it's not something that's necessarily sinful. It's not. It's just about the priority. Where does it sit in the importance in your life? And that's where we have to evaluate ourselves. And see, the problem is the fact that, you know, as we said, life is a test. 
And the thing with a test is traditionally a test kind of gives you a timeline. You know when your time's going to run out. When you go take the SAT, they go, look, at this time, it's over, right? Prepare to drop your pen, you're done. Or pencil, sorry, you wouldn't do his pen, you failed the whole thing. So, but you, you said, because so you know the time's going to run out. The problem with life is, guess what? We have no clue when this life is over. Either you're going to die on this earth, we don't know when that's going to happen, or the Lord can return, right? Matthew 24, 36 says, but of that day, that day, we know that, of that day, the return of God, an hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The Lord will return when we least expect it. It's going to be just like, whoa, the Bible says like a thief in the night. And so what happens is here we are in the midst of our test, and we're living our test, and God's going, are you going to live for me, or are you going to live for this other thing? Where do I live in your life? Am I number one? Am I number two? Am I number three? Where am I? And what's happened is because of a world of distractions, there's many things that fight for that lead priority. And sometimes we may fluctuate. We may have God number one. And other days, he may drop a few pegs because we've got to really focus on this other thing. And it's a matter of us recognizing the fact that, you know what? Those things are used specifically by the enemy to draw our hearts away from God. Because you know what? He doesn't want us to achieve much for him. He does not want us to achieve great things for God. God wants to do something miraculous and amazing with our lives. The problem is we can't be fully surrendered because we've got so many other things that we're focused on. That's one of the things about Africa, man. They don't have distractions. There's nobody over there like, you know, you're not talking to a kid and they're going, uh-huh, uh, yeah, whatever. They're like, they're locked in, man. I mean, I'm, I was telling you, this is this, you wave like this. If you wave like this, this means come. This means, this or this means come. So you do this and they're like, they like, well, you know, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hey, what's going on? They're like, no, 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 this is way. I'm like, oh, okay, because I mean, I'd be like, hey, and they're like, whoosh, I'm like, whoa, right? And they respond, to but, but there's no there's distractions. And we, we think we live in this world of abundance, but you know what? They have a lot that we don't have in the fact that they have a purity and a kindness and a love and a concentration upon what, and truly being thankful. Oh my goodness gracious. There's no entitled kid over there. There's nobody that you give them something, they go, no, I want blue, I don't want red, <laughs> right? They're like, oh, blue, look, they cherish it, man. You give them their stuff, they don't tear it open and eat it and throw it on the ground. They take it and they hold it, and they'll just be like, it's amazing. It's a totally different world. And we're filled with all these distractions and they put idols in our way, and they take our lives and our hearts and our, and our focus off of God. He's the one that suffers, and yet through the whole thing, guess what? He's right here. He doesn't walk away. We walk away from him. God, you don't understand. This is so important to me. It's so important to me. The next thing I look up, and I'm like, wow. How did he get so far away? Because we choose to walk away. He's working to seduce us. Verse, uh, verse 8, continuing 1 Corinthians. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one, fell in one day three and 20,000. 
Verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happen unto them for in samples. He says, look, again, he's reiterating, he's saying, look, these things happen so that you would learn from their mistakes. And they are written for our admonition. He says, look, they are listed and written down as a warning to you, man. I'm trying to warn you away from these things that destroyed them, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that, that, that thinketh he stand, standeth, take heed lest he fall. You confidently stand there thinking, you know what? That's not talking about me. That's not talking about me. That's not talking about me. And we don't look within our own hearts. Guess what? We are destined for a fall. That arrogance, we've got to be humble before God. Verse 13, there hath no temptation taken, but, taken you, but such as is common to man. Notice we've been talking a lot about idolatry, these sins. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. The way, the way of escape is through the arms of the Lord. God is our strength. He is the one that we must depend upon. And notice this, verse 14, he reiterates and goes back to the exact same same thing. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. That means run in fear of idolatry because it is your destruction. That is in a direct opposition. That's when they you know, have no other gods before me. And we have gods in our lives that are things that may not be sinful, but they become sinful because of their priority. Now, we look here in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. If we could follow this example, Okay, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians about the Thessalonians or about Thessalonica and the Thessalonian people, and what he's saying is he's saying, "Look, you know what? Check this out." He says, "For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you." He says, "Look, we can see the impact that we had upon them when we shared the gospel with them, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God." The Thessalonians were wrapped up in idolatry, and they got right with God. That's what, he needs to, that's what needs to be said of us. A good teacher gives us a test not to cause failure, but to give an opportunity for the student to be successful and to develop. God has put us on this earth, and he's testing us right now. We have an opportunity to live for him or live for self. Verse 20, we go back into our, into our um, verse in Exodus 15. And Miriam the prophetess and the sisters of Aaron took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Now, Miriam is all about this, man. When things are going good, she's right in there, bandwagon, jumping up, give me a timbrel, let's go out and dance. Come on, ladies, let's roll. Unfortunately, Miriam's not going to turn out to be always that supportive. She's not always going to have that kind of faith. She's going to struggle like many of us do sometimes with that fair weather faith. Verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Uh-oh. Remember, this is a test. This is a test. And let's see how they do here with their first test. No water. Verse 23. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Three days. We just went from celebration. <laughs> Three days later, the same God that is part of the Red Sea, it's done like he's going to give us everything. God's got this, man. We got confidence in him. Are you kidding me? Our God is the greatest God in the world. What are we going to do now? There's nothing to drink. Great. Right? Warning, don't murmur, right? Don't murmur. Look at this, verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and, and the Lord showed him a tree. Now, I'm going to snap right there. That word tree, and I'm not going to go into it. There's a whole message on that word tree. Because you notice, I mean, think about this. In 1 Peter 2.24, talks about Jesus. And guess what he's hung on? 
a tree, right? The whole thing, the book, if you go back to the book of Genesis, guess where the whole thing starts out? It's all focused upon a, a tree, right? We see the fall of man in a tree, and we see the redemption of man on a tree. Anyway, woo! Mm, that gets me excited. The word tree, because I know what it means. Which when he had cast under the waters, and think about it, it's going from bitter water to sweet, man. Look at this. And when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and, where, and there he made, made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And this is what he says, these statutes and these ordinances, he's going to let them know. Amazingly, why we see God's, we see his grace displayed here as he offers them a solution. He brings the clean water, and now he's going to advise them on how to keep the relationship with God. So not only does he provide them, but then he advises them. Here it comes, verse 26, and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and wilt do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. He says, look, I can take care of you. If you will follow me, if you will honor me, if you'll live for me, guess what I'll do? I'll take care of you. Just keep your eyes on me. Don't get distracted by the things of this world. Don't do these things that, I, that, you, that you know you should not do. Love me. Represent Christ. And he's going to give them a glimpse, right? Check this out. And he gives them a glimpse in this oasis in verse number 27. And they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10, and 10 palm trees, 73 palm trees out there, man. And, then, and, they, and they encamped there by the waters. So they went from having no water, they're going through the wilderness, and now they find this beautiful oasis. And God allows them to see this beautiful thing. Deuteronomy 6 tells us a little bit, little bit different glimpse. This is giving us a different idea and talking about these same principles. In verse number 23, it says, And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which, was, which he sware unto our fathers. So there's a principle here that we see in leaving one thing. We have to go to another, okay? And we see here that he brought them out of Egypt in order to bring them to something else. In order to come out, we must first, first to come in, we must first come out. And it says in verse number 24, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our God, for, for good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. He's saying, look, keep my statutes. Keep my, why is he telling them that? Why is he telling them that? This is why. Leviticus 25, 38. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. I brought you out not for the sake of getting you out. It wasn't just about rescuing you. It was about taking you from where you were to where I want you to be. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We see Jesus state this as he speaks to Agrippa. When Paul's recounting his salvation story, and he's talking to Agrippa. Look at this in Acts 26, 18. Jesus is saying this, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Remember, we talked about idolatry. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And after hearing that, what does Agrippa say? Verse number 28, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me. But we can see a theme in here. Darkness to light. Darkness to light. You must leave the one to gain the other. In the book of Exodus, we see a picture of leaving Egypt and the celebration in that, but the real celebration must be in attaining the promised land. And what we're going to find out about the Egyptians is they're not so much focused on the promised land. They're going to start to try to find satisfaction in the wilderness. 
they're going to struggle to stay in the wilderness. And God's going to allow them to do so. And God's going to put them through a lot of trials, right? And it's a picture of this world, this Christian life. You can seek to find satisfaction in the world, but you will never find it. It is an impossibility. God is pointing them from Egypt. And he's going, yeah, it's great. Let's celebrate the leaving. Let's celebrate the leaving. But we need to celebrate something else, much more so. And there's a picture of it in marriage, okay? Mark 10, 7 says this, for, this, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So the New Testament picture that we see here is marriage. It's a picture of the Exodus where they're going to leave Egypt and they're going to cleave to the promised land. Their problem is they're not focused on the promised land. Check this out in James 4. James 4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses. This is talking about idolatry. It's talking about people having things that are above God. And he references it as a marriage reference. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He says, you're kidding. you've got your priorities all out of whack. And in you doing so and putting me in where I'm not supposed to be, you're cheating on me in our marriage. Because guess what? We're the bride of Christ. We're the bride. We're supposed to be honoring to our husband, right? Think about this. We think about the aspect of celebrating the leaving. If, if let's say, on our, our 30th wedding anniversary, which is a little ways down the road, but that's just kind of a cool thing. I figure a lot of people will be there, right? On our 30th wedding anniversary, we have this big celebration. Everybody's here. And my wife is sitting out there. And let's say a spotlight's on her. Ba-boom. Right? And I get up, and I'm wearing a tuxedo. Well, I'm really making this. I better do well. <laughs> All right. I better not. Okay. I'm dressed up. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, but it's a big shindig, right? Big shindig. And let's say I stand up there and I go, man, Christine, I just, I love you. And I just want to thank you so much for getting me out of my parents' house. <laughs> I really, really, really appreciate it. Really do, babe. Thanks. That would be ridiculous, right? It's not the leaving that's important. It's the cleaving, Right? The thing is, I'm going to celebrate the relationship that I have with her and the things that God's done to use her in my life. And God's saying, look, I want you to go to the promised land. And they're going, but you know what? The, eh. should, I, should, should we fight for it? Right? And this adulterous mindset is something that's worked its way into our world. It's worked its way into our Christianity. It's worked our way into our walk with God and on so many different levels, it's unbelievable. And we do live in a Laodicean period where now people's hearts are not. They're waxing cold towards God. But that doesn't mean it has to impact us. If we recognize it, we can make a change. We can follow him. Our world is a mess, and it's, over, and it's overflowing with distractions and sin that are deviously designed to draw us away from God. And I guarantee you, they are deviously designed. It's not by accidents or by happenstance that the things that draw your attention draw your attention. If you have a weakness, I'm telling you, it will be prayed specifically upon. And there is a distraction that is geared and designed specifically for your weakness. And if you're not walking with God, you're dead meat. Because your eyes will be drawn. And like David, you might look. And the problem is if you're not walking with God, you'll do like he did. He lingered. And then he looked back. And then it took action. And then you find yourself having fallen. And then now what happens is God, who should be here, has dropped a few places. And we fight that battle. It's a daily struggle, man. We all fight it. But we cannot accept it. It's one thing to recognize this reality, and it's another thing to combat it. Right? How do we fight it? 
How do we grow closer to God? How do I fight this thing that's trying to stop me? I have an enemy that's focused upon me and he's trying to destroy my family. He's trying to destroy our relationship. He's just trying to destroy the relationship between my wife. He's trying to destroy this church. He's trying to destroy the outreach of everything we try to do. He's trying to stop it. Amen. Right? Amen. An enemy Amen. in the wilderness who's trying to destroy us and kill us right where we stand. But see, God says, look, don't focus here. Focus here. Amen. Your eyes are on the Lord, right? Kingdom living. Living for God, not living for self. And every day, self is going to remind you, hey, I'm here. I need to be fed. Take care of me. Take care of me. Take care of me. And God's saying, look, you know what? Find your sustenance in the Word. Find your sustenance here. Don't be fulfilled by the things of the world. There is only one way for us to do this. It's by honoring Him through our lives. And guess what? We can only do that in one way, by keeping the statutes of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for our message, God. Thank you for the clarity of the word. And Lord, how you use these incredible, massive stories of millions of people to deal with us individually. And God, uh, it's just absolutely amazing what you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, I'm thankful for all that you've allowed me to see. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us uh, today to take what we've heard. And Lord, help us to deal with those idols that are in our lives. God, help us to look at the things we promote, the things that we talk about, the things where where's, where's our heart and our focus and our energy. And Lord, help us to put you in that spot, that we might truly put you in the place of prominence that you deserve. God, you've done nothing but offer us everything. And Lord, help us to be grateful, to be singing praises in our hearts and live in a way, God, that brings glory to your name. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today, if you're online, if you're in the overflow room, wherever you are, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm struggling. I know I have idols in my life. Pastor, pray for me that I can put God where he's supposed to be. Help me to orient my life in a way that will bring honor and glory to his name not these things that I think are so important. Help me, Lord, to live in a way that's pleasing to you because I don't know how much time I have. This could be our last day. And I know each one of us wants to stand before God and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Every one of us. And you know what? We can hear that if we are faithful. If you're here today and you say, you know what? Bottom line is I don't know for sure that I have a relationship with God. You may be here, you might be online, you might be in the overflow, wherever you are. And you say, you know what, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. Guys, I was, I was a person who believed in God who had no relationship with Him. I, all I knew of God was what I had been told. I didn't have a personal relationship with Him. I had a knowledge and an understanding. And I believed He existed, no doubt. But that doesn't mean that I was saved. That doesn't mean that I had a relationship with Him. That doesn't mean I had received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He knows your name and he loves you exactly as you are. And he knows your struggles. He knows your pains. He knows your weaknesses. And through all of those things, he still loves you. And when he died on the cross, he had your name on his lips. And he's saying, I love you. And this death is for you. Almost 18 years ago, I chose to receive that gift of God, which is eternal life. And you know what? It changed me forever. And I have a relationship with God that will never, ever be broken. And you can have that same relationship. You feel broken, you feel lost, you feel afraid, you feel scared. Guess what? You should. If you're lost, you don't have God. And you're in a desperate situation. But the good news is that through it all, God is reaching out to you with love in his eyes. And he's saying, just come to me.
all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He loves you right where you are. And by faith, we have to receive him. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means anybody on this entire planet who says, you know what? I want to know Christ as my Savior. I want to receive him. The Bible says that, that the wages of sin is death. We're separated from God because of our sin. And we have an opportunity for him to pay the price that we cannot pay. If you pay the price for your sin, you're going to open your eyes in hell and you will burn there forever. And that's a harsh reality, but it is a reality nonetheless for every single one of us. Either we receive Christ and he gives us a way out through paying the price for our sins, or we pay the price ourselves. Today you can receive the gift. He's offering right now to pay that price for you, and he will do it in an instant of faith. It's not the words of a prayer that will save you. It's not a ceremony. It's not a church service. It's not a magic word. It's a broken heart, and that heart has to be yours. And if your heart is sincere and you truly want to receive Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that anyone that does that, they will be saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray online in the overflow wherever you are. This prayer is between you and God. You pray it in your heart, in your mind, and if you're sincere and you truly mean it, God will save you and give you a relationship that is forever. In our hearts and minds, let's pray this prayer. Repeat after me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. The people I've hurt, the things that I've done, the thoughts that I've had. I'm coming to you today with a broken heart. I trust that you are who you say that you are. I put my faith in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And I'm asking you with my whole heart to come into me, to my life, to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Use my life for your glory. And I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.